0: We all feel better in the uh, dark. We all feel better in the dark. We all feel better in the dark. And now our a know featured the presentation. Love, the love came to know. It and
1: here we are yet again, ladies and gentlemen. Once more, conquering the world right from a basement in it Brooklyn. <laughs> One of these days I will get that promo out. Yeah, one day you will get it out. I'm
0: Derek Ferguson. And I'm Thomas DJ. And this is Better in the Dark, as we are growing a little bit at a time.
1: Yes, we are. We're getting better and wiser. And, in fact, we've got a couple of people we want to thank before we begin this potpourri episode. But first, before we get to that, I've got a special presentation. Uh Uh-oh. For my good buddy Tom here. Here, happy
0: birthday. Oh, gosh, thank you. We should mention, by the way, that we're recording on
1: my birthday. We're recording this on his birthday, so I had to run out this morning and get him oh, something God. because he neglected to tell me. That's what I went out to get this oh, okay. morning. Okay, well, thank you very much. No problem.
0: I'm so embarrassed. but no, um, get,
1: your, get yourself something nice to read. Anyway, now that we've got Other people that to thank. Yes, you first.
0: We've had a couple of nice mentions around the potosphere.
1: Yes, we have. People have been very good enough very to notice nice. us and uh, give us a little plug here and there. My and- good
0: friend Chris Johnson over at the Amazing SpiderCast, who's a fellow Podomatic user, and he's available at AmazingSpiderCast.Podomatic.com. He was one of the first to mention us. I've done work for him in the past, and I'm going to continue to do it once I get around to it. And, and If you
1: ever need another lackey, I'm willing.
0: We also have... To thank, and this was really surprising, was we got a very extensive, very expensive discussion and endorsement from one of my favorite podcasts, Cool Shite on the Tube. This is an Australian podcast run by Chris Rattray and the Lunatics at Joffrey Street Productions. <laughs> guys, go to www. After you listen to this, of course, www.coolshite.com. Check these guys out; they have a new podcast every Sunday night. They are hilarious. They're very. Salty. So if you're a little offended by... If you've, but got, again, if
1: you've got gentle ears, maybe you might want to...
0: Be careful. Be
1: careful of it, but still, it's worthwhile checking out and listen.
0: Two episodes they talked about us. Considering where it's coming from, a podcast that I like very much, I was very touched. And finally, we got a surprising mention that you discovered.
1: Yeah. Mr. Uh,
0: John S. Drew...
1: Yeah, who I know from Live Journal. We, we're both Live Journal buddies, but he's got his own podcast now that he just resumed not too long Anything ago. Anything and
0: Everything About Drushi. It's yeah, called.
1: That's it. And he gave us a very, very nice mention. Yes. On his uh, most recent podcast.
0: And you can find him at Drushi, D R E W S H I, dot com. And please check. thing I like about his show is that he's a big fan, like we are, of. Audio drama yeah, And he puts a different audio drama In his podcast every episode And I don't know how other people like But I love it
1: And he's got things like old commercials Like one thing, may seem small to some people But you remember back in the 70's They Mm -hmm. had that thing After these messages messages will be right (laughs) I never thought I would hear that again Until I heard this guy What what amazed me was The
0: Crazy Eddie commercial
1: yeah You guys good. I know some of you people are
0: listening From the west coast And from Bangladesh We uh, just got our first download From South America Yay South America We love South America <laughs> You don't realize Crazy Eddie was this East coast based electronics store it Was hilarious When
1: you think you're ready Eddie. Come down to Crazy Eddie The guy who's got cy- No I'm not going no to do worry do
0: And the thing Go that was unique but You get the idea Was there was this actor John
1: Casale yeah. Who did these insane, fast-talking commercials. And that's what he said. It, 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 Crazy Eddie, he's insane. Hey, that's how we ended the commercial. Everybody thought he was Crazy Eddie, yeah. but no, he wasn't Crazy Eddie. He was just the announcer doing the commercials. And I actually
0: was a employee of Crazy Eddie, the one over on 57th Street and 3rd Avenue, for a okay, grand total yeah. of two days. So that brought things back to me. Uh, so, new, Drew, per,
1: a new personal record.
0: <laughs> no, no, my personal record is three hours. What? Whoa! But anyway, now and you, you
1: know it, we're going to have to go into that. One day. <laughs> we're going to have you tell that story right here. Okay, you have. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of people I want to thank too. First of all, Jason Kenny, who's an excellent writer, and he's been very supportive of this show. Appreciate all of the advice that he's given me online. Has to uh, because he's got a little bit more experience in this kind of thing than I do. Because in his college, uh, he has a radio show. Right, that he does what he does covers of popular songs. He's turned me on into a lot of them. Did you ever hear that cover of Straight Outta Compton? That sounds yes. like a sixty f- recording. <laughs> that sounds like a 60s. <laughs> have you heard
0: the, the companion
1: piece, oh the, my
0: the Ben Folds version of <laughs> Bitches Ain't Shit?
1: No, I've heard of that. I got to it. I that. have
0: it here on Lacey Lacey, by the way, is the portable hard drive that we record on. After we're done recording, I'll download it to you so you yeah, can listen to it for give me yourself. A copy. It's hilarious. But
1: this is the type of stuff that Jason turns me on to, and I just wanted to, you know, give him a shout out. Two other people I have to give a shout out to it. Russ Anderson and Eric Frome. And Eric, if I'm not pronouncing your name right, I'm sure you'll let me know and I apologize in advance. But they were the first two fans to sign up on our Better in the Dark Mailing the list. Better in the Dark mailing list. They've been throwing ideas at us there and engaging us in conversation and if you were signed up on it too you would right. be able to have fun too Like I put together a
0: little form so when you join and I'll probably put it as part of the intro package when you join the Better in the Dark mailing list we'll tell you what we're thinking about doing and you can tell us what you think about us thinking about what we're thinking about doing
1: that, My that head was, hurts. That was very good. You did that better <laughs> than I did. Yeah, it's a way for you to find out in advance what's going on and what we're going to be doing. And I just wanted to shout out to Russ, who I know personally. Right. I've been to his house. I've met his lovely wife. Thank you, Russ. Thank you, Eric. Just keep supporting us, and we appreciate
0: it. You will at the end of this episode, and on every episode, you'll hear the link that will bring you to the Yahoo group, Better in the Dark. Join us, because we're planning on making this be like a whole fun community. But only you can take that first step, and letting us know that you want to be part of it.
1: We are giving like a telephone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we got all the we got your birthday present out yes. the way. We okay. got the acknowledgements out the way. So yes. now we can go into what is this episode actually about?
0: Tom. And this is another potpourri episode. We've been told that people really like these things because it allows us to go off on a lot of tangents. And our subject today is movies
1: that suck, but you know what? We like them. Because we all have those movies. We have movies that, for some reason, even though everybody tells us they're horrible, our friends look at us like we're crazy when we mention them, for some reason, if they come on TV, we have to watch it. Every Mm -hmm. once in a while, we'll take out the DVD or the videotape and pop it in the machine, and we'll watch it just because we like the movie.
0: Maybe it's a certain performance. Maybe it's a subject matter.
1: Yeah. It could be for any reason at all that you like the movie. It's your favorite movie, even though popular convention has that it. Is there such a thing as a movie being able to suck and blow at the same yeah. time? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what these movies do, according to popular convention, but we love them anyway. So, without further ado, Tom. Okay.
0: Now, it I sorted out, just like with the movies we like that you should probably see, we've each chosen three. We know what each other's list is, but we don't know any other details. I'm choosing to list mine in the order of defensibility. And on the top of that list is The Avengers. I think it was
1: 1998, was it? Close enough.
0: I'm trying to look at the thing here. I brought visual aids. You
1: got the DVD right in your hand.
0: This was the big screen adaptation of my second favorite TV show of all time. In fact... The female character who's played by Uma Thurman in this one, Emma Peel, was my first legitimate sexual crush when I was a little, little,
1: little kid. As it was for a lot of men back then. This was directed by Jer- Jerome
0: Chicklis, who was a big Avengers fan, and it does show. And I think that's part of the reason why the film flopped in the theaters. In fact, I remember seeing it on opening day with another Avengers fanatic, a guy named Bill. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the film, Bill turned to me and said... This movie is going to bomb. Yeah. We both loved it, but we knew that it was totally inaccessible to anybody but other Avengers freaks.
1: Yeah, you had to really be a fan of the Avengers to uh, really get into it. I saw it myself, and I'm an Avengers fan. And there was a lot of things I liked about it, but, well, I don't like it nearly as much as you do. Yeah. I don't think they came anywhere near. Oh, Ex- it's terribly flawed. I mean, Except except for certain scenes.
0: Yes, this is supposedly the origin story of the two main characters who comprise the Avengers in that 60s spy TV show. John Steed, who is played in the movie by Ray Fiennes, and he channels the character perfectly. And Uma Thurman, who has some problems, has Emma Peel. Yeah. Which is surprising, because look at Uma Thurman's career. She has spent half her life in spandex.
1: Yes, she has. You would have she'd be a lot better at it as... I don't know, I just looked at her... And I didn't see Emma Peel. And that, not to nitpick, but if you want to talk about being an origin story, then they really would have had to go back and do Steve's first partner, which was Doctor Kiel. Doctor Kiel, yeah. And then Anna there was Doctor Kiel.
0: There were a number before.
1: Right. There was he had like two or three. Like right. Arthur Blackman,
0: she was Kathy Gale. Kathy Gale, yeah. The original casting for this part was for Nicole Kidman to play. Emma Peel.
1: Yeah, that I, I could see. I
0: thought that that would have been a much more interesting casting, but, you know, to be fair, Uma Thurman gives the best she can, but she's struggling with an English accent. Right. That English accent sounds just too twee.
1: Uma Thurman, as happened so many times with these movies that we've discussed, mm-hmm. she was a flavor of the right.
0: month. The plot revolves around Sir August de Winter, played by Sean Connery, who is a mad Scottish meteorologist who develops a way to control the weather. He has also this obsession with Emma Peel from when she was a little baby and has managed to clone her. Yeah. And there's this conspiracy in the Ministry. They never mentioned what the spy agency was in the TV series. They just refer to it here as the Ministry. Brian Clemens, who created the TV series, referred to it as MI5 and a half.
1: Which is one of the things I liked about the Avengers. There were some things they just left up to your imagination that you didn't have to know who they worked for. Well, one of the reasons I love the TV series is that it takes place in
0: this weird fantasy world. Clemens made very conscious choices about things like not having crowd scenes to heighten the sense that this was
1: a storybook. It was only the people that was absolutely necessary to tell the story was in it. Right. There was no extraneous characters in any of it. It was just like Steed, Mrs. Peel... The bad guys, right? And that was it. Anybody else usually got knocked off.
0: The other thing that marked this TV series was this bizarre sense of set design, which is wonderful, particularly when Anton Fuest was the set designer in the last couple of years. Okay, where you had these exaggerated props and these weird buildings, quirky
1: camera angles yeah. and stuff. A lot like of that. Dutch
0: angles. I think that the biggest problem with this film, the reason why a lot of people hate it, is because. It is just so much a part of what that series was. So you have a lot of weird camera angles and a lot of bizarre set pieces. It's
1: the Avengers' greatest hits.
0: Yeah. In fact, there is a scene you and I have talked about where Emma Peel has to go through this kind of MC Escher-esque room... Over and
1: over again. Right. Which is pretty much lifted directly from an episode called The Joker. And every time that she goes through the door, yeah. she ends up back in the same room that she just left. And it's it? basically... And it's designed to drive yeah. you crazy, which it starts doing in the movie. Oh yeah.
0: Outside of Uma Thurman, who we've discussed, I she gives it a good college try, but she's just not yeah. that good in it. Ray Fiennes is magnificent as Steve.
1: He, I would have really liked to see sequel with him in it, as I think that that would have became a signature role for him in the series. And I
0: thought Sean Connery was having a ball and a half.
1: Well, he got to play a bad
0: guy for once. My favorite moment in this film is the confrontation between Steed and De Winter Mm -hmm. in The Maze. Okay. Where they're exchanging the quips, and he's going like a man who wears, carries an umbrella. Yeah, is always you know a man who carries an umbrella is always praying for rain. To which Steve replies, a man who carries an umbrella is always prepared.
1: Yeah, they're trading these these very British witticisms, mm-hmm. and. He has this really deranged speech when he's having a board meeting now, with the board members. Oh
0: yes, with the, they're just all just
1: teddy bears.
0: Yeah. I and mean, I also like the presentation he makes to don't call it the UN in the movie, but what is basically the UN where he's. Yeah. Called, now is the winter of your discontent. Yeah,
1: yeah, you can tell he's having a lot of fun playing a bad guy for a change, and he does a great job at. Where it, it
0: falls down for me is in that last half, because the Americanisms start creeping in. One of the other great things about the Avengers TV series, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this, is that it's a very sexy show without being overt. It's very obvious in the TV series that Steed and Peel are having some form of sexual relationship.
1: Okay. But
0: it's never overtly romantic.
1: Not like we... A girl that came after her, tower King, King. where, where, it's, where it yeah. was pretty plain. They were basically that, sleeping yeah, in each other's houses they, and stuff. They were knocking boots, But it was always that thing with... It was the same formula that was used yeah. in later TV series like Remington Steele, right. Moonlighting, where you say, well, are they or aren't they? Remember they had that great right. episode where Mrs. Peel left and then... Because her husband, who mm-hmm. had been missing right. all these years, was found. You saw he, the guy was a dead ringer. Right. Steed. And they're kind of like saying, whoa, that made you think. There are a couple of scenes in this film that
0: capture that sense. Yeah. Primarily, there's a sword fight at Trubshaw's. Yeah. With Steed and Peel, where they're having this gentle discussion. And she's starting to explain, oh, the reason I'm so skilled at all this stuff is because my father right. wanted a boy. And there's also a scene where she's being presented with a pair of boots. Mm-hmm. that part captures that particular essence of the mm-hmm. Avengers but then they get all scared and decide to make it overt they have the big
1: kiss yeah which, uh, in the with, third act which when I went to the movie to see there were actually some people in, who must have been really die hard Avengers yeah. fans they booed and I understood where they were coming from because I didn't need to see that there's
0: some other characters who are wasted in the film Eddie
1: Izzard is in the yes, movie yes he's in, in the it. film yeah. and
0: says nothing Eddie Izzard this talented comedic actor who would have been perfect if he was born 30 years earlier to be an Avengers character mm-hmm.
1: does nothing yeah it's very weird to me that they would have many, well I only just recently really got to know him through the TV show that uh, did, Rich the you know, Riches yeah the Riches are, where he's phenomenal and I said why? he's a great actor I said why did not somebody tell me about this guy sooner and I've had people tell me well we were telling you about, yeah. him, about him he's wasted in this movie which is a shame So I think, though, the biggest problem with
0: this film is that it's too insular. It's too much for the fans. It is so quirky and so bizarre that there was no access point for the general public to get used to it. Exactly. To understand who John Steed is, who M. Appeal is, Mm -hmm. what the ministry is, why there are no people out on the streets in London in the middle of the day. Right. I think that's why most people consider it to be a terrible film, and it bombed miserably at the box office. Oh,
1: died a miserable death. Miserable death. death. That it probably didn't deserve I don't think it deserved to be a hit, but I don't No, yeah, it didn't deserve to be a hit at all, but it didn't deserve, this will show you how bad it was. It wasn't even rerun Ad Infinitum on TV. Oh, yeah. Because usually a bad movie gets thrown onto that, and it gets re-run and we're
0: going to get to one of those
1: That, <laughs> um, very that soon. didn't happen to the Avengers It just was never shown at all And I'm very sorry to see that
0: So what's first on your list, Eric?
1: What's first on my list? We've got boy, <laughs> My eyes! No! I know, right? <laughs> Folks, it's the 1980 movie starring Of all people, Livia Newton-John And Gene <laughs> Kelly called Xanadu I know what you're thinking Derek Why Xanadu What can I tell you I don't have the DVD I I used to have the VHS I don't have it anymore It's just one of those movies When it comes on TV you yeah, have, Tom. You ever had one of those that you said, "We know someone. I'm only going to watch five or ten minutes." And, and then you, end up, you know. and, and the next thing you know, it's the ending credits. Xanadu does that to me every single time, folks. The story is very simple. I mean, you're
0: not apparently the only one because it's being adapted right now for a Broadway musical. Yes,
1: I found out while I was doing research for this. The movie has turned into a cult mm-hmm. favorite over these years, if nothing else, for the soundtrack, which heavily features the music of Electric Light Orchestra, right. a very big favorite of mine and a lot of. I'm other somewhat people.
0: surprised that they are. Not as highly regarded as they should be.
1: Oh yeah, because those guys were genius.
0: It's a very heavily, very electronic music, but it's magnificent. It's almost like
1: it's orchestra. It's like a a natural evolution from what the
0: Beach Boys were doing in the end of their career.
1: It's pop orchestra music. When you listen to Turn the Stone or something like that, I mean, you can't help but say, "Whoa!" The story is very simple. You got Michael Beck from the Warriors, who I love because he looks like the Gibb brother that doesn't have any talent. (laughs) Doesn't have any money Doesn't get laid Because he's got that pissed off look (laughs) All the time on his face He looks at you like Mm -hmm. You owe him money He plays an artist Who wants to Do something with his art Because he's regulated To painting album covers That he doesn't really want to do And he meets Gene Kelly who plays?
0: Is, was that his last that dancing was, role? That
1: was his last dancing role. He plays a character named Danny Maguire. Actually, an interesting thing I found out about while I was doing research for this, there was a movie in 1944, I think it was, mm-hmm. that Gene Kelly, he played a character called Danny Maguire. That's the name of the character that's in this movie. So this is like an unofficial sequel to that movie. Mm -hmm. Which I'm trying to find, not care. Find 1944 Cover Girl. Co-starring Rita Hayworth. In that movie, Danny McGuire is a nightclub-owning character. And in Xanadu, he plays a guy that wants to own a nightclub. Which I thought was kind of cool. So they hook up together. Michael Beck falls in love with Olivia Newton-John, who plays a muse. Who comes to Earth, along with her nine sisters. Mm -hmm. One of them played by Sandal Bergman. Ah, yes. Who was in Conan the Barbarian. So they get together. And they decide to create this club called Xanadu, of course, which is a roller disco club. Mm -hmm. Why this movie has become such a cult favorite, besides from the music, is also, I think, it's got some very nice, sweet scenes in it. It's got a scene where Gene Kelly and Olivia Newton-John, he's reminiscing about the 1940s. And she shows up dressed as one of the Andrews sisters, and they have a very nice dance scene together. There's another scene where Gene Kelly and Michael Beck are standing in the empty warehouse That they're mm-hmm. planning on turning into Xanadu And while Michael Beck is fantasizing about A 70s glam rock type right. of band Gene Kelly fantasizing about a 1940s big band orchestra And there's a remarkable scene Where the two bands merge together Their styles of music and dance and everything like that So you that. can
0: almost see why they decided to make this Into a Broadway musical Exactly,
1: it's a very theatrical thing right. you can see how they could do that on stage mm-hmm. Because that's what it's like I don't know. You'd have to be a person that was from the 70s and 80s, I right. guess, in order to really appreciate this movie music, because it's so unabashedly 70s and 80s. It's every. It's got roller disco. Right. Although I wonder if
0: the reason this has become a cult classic is because it's so 80s.
1: Exactly. It's so
0: very much of its time.
1: Well, I guess that's why I watch it, because, yes, folks, I'm that old. I was around during the 80s. <laughs>
0: You've never seen the pictures of me dressed up like something that the B-52s threw up.
1: Oh, man, listen. Back in the 80s, I had an Afro, I had an Applejack, I had... (laughs) I had the platform shoes. Oh man, I was fly. You couldn't tell okay. me nothing, and I hung out at discos. So yeah, when I see this, I am reminded. People of forget. Those times. I think
0: people who have who were not around during that time don't realize what a freaking phenomena roller disco was. Yeah,
1: d- roller disco was everywhere, man. You could not get away from it. It was a national craze. Mm. This movie has got some good roller disco scenes in it. Not great. Mm-hmm. No, not like Electric Boogaloo, maybe or uh, a Roller Boogie. A Roller Boogie. It's good scenes, and if you like Olivia Newton-John, like I do, yes, mm-hmm. I do like Olivia Newton-John. It's nice to hear her sing and dance, and, and it's so obvious that her and Gene Kelly are having so much fun dancing and singing together. Right. Again, like with your first movie event, this one bombed, even though it was. Although I think part of that is just gear, timing. Gear, yeah, it didn't come out at the right time when mm-hmm. people were into Roller. Di- as Much the, like another
0: film that I love, even though it's absolutely dreadful, Can't Stop the Music.
1: Can't Stop the Music, exactly. It came out, what, like five years after Disco was yes. dead? Yes. So nobody cared about it. Same thing with Xanadu. By the time it came out, nobody cared anymore. I mean, even Gene Kelly said it's bad. You know, I liked the story and he liked Olivia Newton John, even though he said the movie was bad. Right. Is there to do a bad movie? Yes, it is a bad movie. It is. The acting is nothing to talk about. I don't remember anybody else that was in the movie outside of the three leads that I have named. Michael Beck, much as I loved up in The Warriors, here, he looks like he wants to strangle Olivia Newton John half the time instead of being in love with her. Correct
0: me if I'm wrong. This was the movie that killed Michael Beck's career. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think he, there's a quote somewhere that he, in an interview he gave where he said, the Warriors opened a lot of doors for me I mean, and as, Xanadu closed them. And
1: Xanadu closed it. Yeah, Xanadu effectively killed it. Even though in recent years I've seen him pop up on TV like mm-hmm. a guest starring roles right. like on certain science fiction shows I think he was on a Stargate Atlanta so he's still working but his career had a forward momentum that the Warriors had given him that Xanadu just brought to a screeching halt but still again I love it And like I said it comes on I do the same thing I'm just gonna watch it up until this number right. next thing I know then Five more minutes. Are, the ending credits are running, and I've watched Let's go with your next one now.
0: All right, In the second most defensible film on my list. <laughs> okay, Dirty Work, nineteen ninety eight. This is the first of a grand total of two starring roles for one Norm McDonald.
1: Who you for some inexplicable reason think is hilarious? I can't, I
0: can't explain it. It's funny because there was a period of time when he was very popular. Yeah, yeah And I remember many years ago Mad TV was on at 11 And then you had And then you had Live, Saturday Night Live yeah. And Norm Macdonald at that time Was doing the Weekend Update Okay And I remember If I was home I would watch Mad TV Because that was during A time when Mad TV Was the greatest Sketch the comedy show down In the world On the
1: floor Hilarious When you
0: had Artie Lang Doing My Dead Black Mama Yeah you had Nicole Sullivan Don't doing me
1: break the foot off your ass.
0: <laughs> you had Nicole Sullivan doing the Vancom lady. You had Deborah Wilson doing the
1: She would do the music video. Yeah. Remember she would do Mariah Carey mm-hmm. and Whitney Houston and she was like dead on. Oh yeah.
0: And Dave Herman, Dave who Herman, most yeah. people will remember from Office Space. Orlando Jones, who's in the third film that we'll probably be talking about.
1: Okay, a highly underrated actor.
0: And at twelve o'clock, I would flip over to channel four for about fifteen minutes, just so I could see Norm Macdonald, because Norm Macdonald cracked me the fuck up.
1: Okay, well, you're in and I think
0: part of it was because he had that really weird delivery, and it was just so distinctive.
1: He looks snarky to me. He looks like. He and he was- also was
0: responsible uh, one of my favorite Superman jokes.
1: What's that?
0: He when remember when back in I think it was ninety seven, Superman got new powers was ninety seven, ninety eight?
1: Yeah, Electro Superman. Electro
0: Superman. And he reported this on Saturday Night Live. And he said, they are switching Superman's costume to this. When asked why, the editors at DC Comics said, the old costume wasn't gay enough. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he just looked and said, look at that. What's that supposed to be?
1: <laughs> and they showed the costume. And they showed well, the oh costume. My.
0: If you remember, his big motif was he had a tape recorder. That he would speak into from time to time and go, note to self. This is a very good example of how you take a comic with a very limited range and make a successful movie out of it. I mean, it's not entirely successful, and we'll get into why it's not entirely successful. Bernie Brilstein, who was his agent, okay. put this film together. There are cameos and or major roles by a lot of Brillstein's... Client. clients. Okay. For example, Don Rickles shows up oh, okay. in an extended sequence as one of the, Norm MacDonald's bosses. And in fact, basically you get the impression that all he's told to do is Okay.
1: Oh, in the restaurant. Yeah.
0: No, no. He plays the head of the Isn't He's it? the head of a movie theater okay and they just tell him just go off right for about 10 minutes so it's just Don Rickles making fun of Norm Macdonald and Arnie Lang for about 10 minutes right yeah
1: and then they like do something to them yeah Chevy
0: Chase has a role in the film okay has a doctor who owes a lot of money to long (laughs) Sharks my favorite cameo is Adam Sandler plays the devil They're, they're testing a fat substitute in brownies and it's this whole list of stuff that the brownies are supposed to cause. Rashes, hallucinations. Artie Lang, who plays Norm Macdonald's sidekick, mm-hmm. he's now most familiar to people has the new sidekick for Howard Stern. You're right. They both eat the brownies, and Artie Lang has a little itch on the back of his neck, but Norm Macdonald has full-out rashes, shakes, and he's hallucinating Gary Coleman in the seat with him, mm-hmm. laughing at him while Adam Sandler has the devil, stands over a barbecue pit with a pig roasting, going, <laughs> We eat the pig, and then we burn! Burn! <laughs> <laughs> As you get to the plot, <laughs> There is a plot? There, there is, is a, a plot.
1: in all of this hilarity? Norm
0: Macdonald plays Mitch Weaver, a ne'er-do-well who does not keep jobs very long never known who his father was he learns that his father is the father of his best friend who had this weird kind of like open relationship with his wife okay and when he has a heart attack and needs an operation mcdonald and the sidekick played by Artie lang who's also his brother has to raise fifty thousand dollars and what he does is he forms a revenge for hire business called dirty work inc where right. basically, if somebody's pissing you off, you can pay them money... You pay them money and, and they'll get yeah, you back. And,
1: and right, and they'll get them back. So, okay. for
0: example, there's a girl that he likes. Played In by other trailer. words, they
1: do the same job that laws
0: yeah. There's a girl that he likes, played by Trailer Howard. Okay. Who has a terrible boss, who runs a used car dealership. He's doing a live TV show. So, basically, he hires a bunch of hookers to crawl into the trunks of all these cars and pretend to be dead. All right. So, while these guys doing this live presentation... Norm Macdonald is, like, opening up the... There's a dead hooker in there! Oh, Oh my God! I haven't seen so many dead hookers in my life! (laughs) The main villain is played by, of course, Christopher Macdonald, Shooter McGavin from Happy Gilmore. And that's probably a wise choice because Norm MacDonald is not an actor. It is very obvious he is not an actor. He's barely
1: a comedian, if you ask me. Okay, I understand. You like him a lot more than I do, so... So, what
0: they end up doing is surrounding him with people who are decent comedians and actors. (laughs) Cardi Lang is hilarious.
1: Oh, yeah, he's a funny
0: guy. And Christopher McDonald plays basically... Shooter McGavin again.
1: So they've got the support system of proven right. people.
0: And Jack are, Warden plays proof. the father. Okay. There are enough people around him who know what they're doing to shore him up. Exactly. The film is not a good film by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> There's a number of very tasteless jokes, primarily one dealing with prison rape, and one bizarre scene where Artie Lang pisses off the side of a building.
1: Well, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Not to get you off the subject. Okay, sure. But. What's wrong with a tasteless joke if it's funny? Isn't that, it, you know is Isn't that why we're going to see comedy? The prison
0: rape joke goes on too long.
1: Because it's like blazing saddles. Like, for example,
0: there's another joke in this film where they come across some homeless people who were former employees of the Christopher McDonald character. Okay. And one of these employees, and it's like a motif, they do it three times, has this tendency to go off on these monologues. Oh, Okay. And because the monologues are relatively short, and like whenever he starts talking like that, music swells up on the soundtrack until he turns around and everybody's left him. And that worked because it's relatively short. But this prison rape gag goes on and on and on some more.
1: Right. And then it's brought up again later on in the film. I get you. They beat it to death. The same, Because it's, f- like, it's like Blazing Saddles. Because yeah. I've had people that I've shown Blazing Saddles to, and they've said to me, well, aren't you offended by the use of the word nigger? Because yeah. the word nigger I said, no. Because it's funny. Right. It's used in a context where it's funny. So that's why Much I, like you know, that
0: scene in Tucky Fried movie, The Daredevil.
1: Yeah. Tasteless. And I've had people that have said that to me. Well, right. I don't like that, you know, well, why not? Because it's tasteless. Yeah, but it's funny. And that's what you go into a comedy for. And to me, when you're in a comedy, the job of the people making the comedy is to make you laugh. Right. I don't care what they got to do, they got to make you laugh. Otherwise, they're not doing their job.
0: And I think, at least for me, this film does still make me laugh, even though there are these stretches where I'm like, why am I watching this again? <laughs> and some of it is watching Norm MacDonald does not know how to act with any credibility. Okay. Like, at one point, they're trying to get back at these frat brothers who beat them up. They buy these cop uniforms. First thing they call the frat boys, and there are fake cops going around, guys dressed up as cops, and they steal a bunch of stuff.
1: Okay. And
0: and then he hangs up and goes, calls the police Go, goes, Hello, yeah.
1: real cops? And for some reason, that just cracks me up. <laughs> some jokes are like that, just the way that they're delivered. Right. And that's anything. part of the, the reason
0: I like Norm Macdonald, was he
1: had such a bizarre delivery. It was a the delivery. Yeah, well,
0: some comedians
1: are like that. It's just the way they say certain things can make me crack up. Because they, they do
0: establish early on that he has this habit of taking notes on his tape recorder, much like he was on Saturday Night Live at the time, Uh and at one point, they are playing stuff back, and they accidentally get memo to self, buy ass wart cream for this big wart (laughs) on my ass! (laughs) (laughs) Once again, the way he reads the line, Uh
1: sells the scene, scene, Uh
0: even though he can't act. He
1: can't act. At the moment, he sells the joke, which I guess
0: is the point. Which is why I guess you like the movie. Unlike the Avengers, I probably would not recommend this to other people, though. You would not? Why Mm. not? Because I realize how terrible it is. It's just not very good. But I love it.
1: Well, that's the main... Why we have this episode going on. I'm up now? You're up now. Now, as most of you might know from my live journals and from reading my reviews. I'm a huge fan of Westerns. I love Westerns. My father turned me on to Westerns when I was a little kid when he took me to see The Wild Bunch. Mm -hmm. I saw The Wild Bunch in the theater. Yes. And it traumatized me for life (laughs) because (laughs) I came out of there, man, I love Westerns to death. But even as much as I love Westerns, I have to admit that there are some Westerns that really, really are bad. And this is one of them. It's the Alamo. From 1960, the John Wayne version. Not of the to be Alamo. confused
0: with the more recent one no, with Dennis Quaid. Which
1: I have to say, in the defense of the 1960 movie, even though it is horribly racist, Yes. it doesn't get one damn fact about what really <laughs> happened at the Alamo correct. Mm-hmm. But. It's exciting to watch, unlike the more recent version, which is a snooze fest. Yes, the more recent version is more politically correct. Yes, they do get the facts right. Is it as fun? No, it's not as fun, to be honest. We've got John Wayne playing Davy Crockett. You've got Richard Widmark playing Jim Bowie. Mm -hmm. And you have Lawrence Harvey playing Travis, which were the big three of the Alamo. So
0: you have a decent cast.
1: You've got a wonderful cast You've got a great cast you got like Little character actors In the back Chill wills And stuff mm-hmm. Who gets to sing A couple of songs But this movie It's all told from Which you would expect From a John Wayne movie Which he directed By the way I did not know that Yes he did Despite rumors That people had for years That Howard Hawks mm-hmm. Actually directed this Or John Ford Right Who as you know Was John Wayne's good buddy Right And he directed Many of John Wayne's Most successful films Like She Wore Yellow Ribbon mm-hmm. Red River there was a rumor that it was actually John Ford that had directed this movie. But no, that's not it. John Wayne, for better or worse, right? He, mostly for worse, he directed this. But, like I said, to give him his credit. He knows how to direct action scenes. And the final fight with the Alamo, when it happens, it's very exciting. It's very thrilling. You've got nice little character bits with... John Wayne and Richard Widmark mm-hmm. where they're talking about freedom and liberty and this movie is so slanted toward the Texans and their point of view. We actually never hear the Mexican side of you. Right. So we don't know anything about how they feel about this or what's going on. They're just there just to be slaughtered by the heroic white guys. Right. Basically that's what they are. They're set up as clay pigeons What you we were talking about a minute ago about just the delivery right. of something sells it. You have these two guys that are in the movie and all throughout the movie there are like certain bits of dialogue will go along and one guy will turn to another one and say well did he say what I thought he said <laughs> and other guys say he do, <laughs> it do. Well, he do what he said does that mean what I thought it meant and other guys say it do. do that's all they say through the movie but the way they do it I crack up no matter how right. many times I see this I just love it Richard Widmark who I love right. he's one of those actors that I call old time tough that he looks as tough As characters that he plays. Mm -hmm. And he obviously has a great time playing Jim Bowie. Him and Lawrence Harvey go with each other all throughout this movie. They hate each other with a passion because Lawrence Harvey, Frank, he talks with this upper crust. Accent and he says, Yeah, well, I'm better than men that I'm leading, but I can't let them know that. Right. At all. He's got lines like that. He's not a likable guy at all in this movie. He's an honorable man, but right. he's not a likable one at all. And of course, John Wayne, well, he's playing Davy Crockett as he's like the ultimate American. He can't do any wrong. Right. And he gets to have these great speeches where he's talking about, I love, oh, I love the sound <laughs> of the word republic. It sounds mm-hmm. like the same sound that uh, your little baby has when he. Makes his first noise like a man. That's right, what you, doing? you know. And it's just, <laughs> <Hello? that>. it, <laughs> it's just that stuff all through the three-hour running time. Matter of fact, I think it's a little longer than that. Is it a good movie? No, it's not a good movie. It's very offensive on a lot of levels, especially for me because they have a scene where Jim Bowie, Richard Widmark, mm-hmm. got this faithful slave that's following him all through the movie, played by Justa Hairston. Who most people might remember from the TV show Amen He's been following them all throughout the movie He's been faithful Now Santa Ana's army is surrounded to Alamo they're getting ready to come in and slaughter them the next day. That's the moment Jim Bowie decides to give the guy right. freedom. <laughs> well, it looks like we're going to die. So long. He says, well, what the hell do I need freedom right. for now Well, we're about to get slaughtered? And what's even more offensive, decides to take it and He stays loyal to his right. faithful master and even throws himself in front of him when, you know, when the Mexicans break in with their kill Jim Bowie. Right. Yeah, it's a highly offensive movie, it's racist on a lot of levels, however, whenever it comes on Turner Classic Movies, I do the same thing I do with ever right. I, I said, well, I'll just watch a few minutes of it.
0: Now let me ask you this, Yeah, you mentioned that you thought this film was racist and offensive, do you think that that was because of the time frame in which it was made?
1: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up, because whenever you look at movies that were made back in this time period, you have to look in the context of when it was made. Right. For that time it was made in 1960, it wasn't a racist movie, because we weren't as enlightened as we are. Boy, am I going to get mail about that. We're not as supposedly as enlightened as we are now, and we're not as sensitive to racial issues as we were then. Back then, they were just making a movie, and this was how they looked at race relations back then. That's how come I can watch... Movies that were made in the 1930s Where some people have said Well, how can you watch that? That's racist It's racist, we're looking at it now Right But I look at the movie in the context of when it was made However, I do realize that some people now They wouldn't want to see a movie like the Alamo Because it's racist And they say, well, I don't want to watch that Instead of just looking at it as entertainment As an artifact Yeah, I look at it as entertainment Which is what it is It's a big, stupid, dumb movie Yeah, is it trash? Yeah, is it any good? No, John Wayne has frankly made better movies Mm -hmm. Made a lot of better movies than the Alamo But for some reason It comes on I'll turn it on, I'll watch it Next thing I know, ending credits The next one, my final pick And probably your favorite I don't know about my favorite Well out of the three that you've discussed Although I think the dirty work is secretly (laughs) (laughs) This one is also based on
0: A historical event Although I'm baffled as to how I can defend this one I really am.
1: <laughs> try, Tom, try. Okay.
0: Those people who know me know that probably my biggest passion outside of comics and films is football. Okay. I am a major football fan. I bleed the green and white of the Jets. And if you remember about two seasons ago, the Jets had one of the worst seasons they've ever had in their entire history.
1: Well, I wouldn't remember because I don't follow okay. football, but I'll take your word for it.
0: <laughs> and that's when I first discovered... The Replacements Starring Keanu Reeves And Gene Hackman And Brooke Langdon This is a weird little film It's ostensibly a comedy And it's a comedy about sports And we're going to do a whole episode about sports films Yes we are Ones that we like And ones that we think are terrible The biggest problem with sports films And you and I have discussed this Is that most sports films have absolutely no clue As to how Uh, a sport
1: is, Is actually played Yeah
0: So this is basically a comedy set during the NFL player strike of the 90s. Okay. Even though this film was made in, I think it's like, year 2000.
1: Okay, it's a 2000 film, gotcha.
0: It revolves around Shane Falco who I think is supposed to be Ryan Leaf. Mm -hmm. It's weird because there's a lot of this film where there are people standing in for actual figures. Okay. So Shane Falfo, I think, is supposed to be Ryan Leaf, the legendary quarterback for the San Diego Chargers that was chosen as the first draft choice back in the early 90s who was an absolute disaster Mm. and only played one season.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: Before retiring.
1: Retiring to what?
0: He's now coaching high school football in Texas and is apparently very, very happy. There's the strike, and uh, once again, they mix these things up. So you've got this character played by Jack Warden. Again, Jack Warden shows up, who is supposed to be the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, who hires Gene Hackman's character, who's supposed to be Jimmy Johnson, who was the legendary coach of both the Cowboys and the Miami Dolphins before Mm -hmm. retiring, and he's one of the few coaches who has never come back Mm. from retirement. Him and John Madden, who also is in this movie, to basically put together a scab team for the remaining four games of the season. Okay. And he taps Shane Falco, played by Keanu Reeves. He taps a character who is played by John Favreau, who's now gone on to become quite an established director.
1: Absolutely. he got Iron Man He's got, out of exactly. That everybody and their brother's looking for. And it's these different people from all these various points of life
0: who, some have played a little bit of football, some have played no football, but he's kept his eye on them because he sees certain elements. So there's a character who's played by Orlando Jones, who I think is based on Michael Irvin
1: so you're telling me that I can watch this movie and I'm going to spend most of my time watching and trying to figure out who's supposed to well, be who? Well, for me, because I'm so knowledgeable about football, like, for example, the only team that's mentioned
0: is the name of the team in the, that's the center of the film, the Washington Sentinels. Okay. If you look at the uniform that they wear here on the cover...
1: Uh, okay, which, which I'm is,
0: looking at right now.
1: <laughs> it is
0: based very, very closely on the old New England Patriots uniform. Okay. There are other teams in this film. There's one team that's supposedly from Detroit that is obviously the Pittsburgh Steelers. Another team that's from Dallas that's obviously supposed to be the Oakland
1: Raiders. Is it safe to say that this movie was oh. made without the cooperation? Oh, yeah, it's safe to say that. Of the that. NFL? <laughs> For the life of me, I don't know why I
0: love this film so much. But I know that it's one of these films during that horrible season of the Jets where they eventually eked out four wins. Okay. When this was being shown continually on TBS, they show this pretty much on a continuous loop yeah. on TBS during football Matter season. Matter
1: of fact, it mm-hmm. came on. I think it was Fox Movie Channel. Right. It came on. The other thing, I was watching one of these games
0: where the Jets were being terribly blown out, and I would switch over to this and watch a couple of minutes. A couple of minutes turned into ten minutes, turned into half an hour, turned into the whole mm-hmm. film. Okay. It's weird because it's trying continually to get us to support... A group of scabs. They make some half-hearted attempts at vilifying... It's one of these Hollywood films where everybody's either all good or all bad. Okay. All the scabs are all good and all virtuous. And the guys who are on the picket line are evil, mean... In fact, the, the only line one of these football players has is where he's saying, Do you know how much insurance it costs to put on a new Porsche?
1: Which goes exactly against the American... Exactly That's where we are Brought up to Pro-union Anti-scab So why would they Make a movie Where you got scabs As good guys
0: Well part of the reason I think this film works Is it's one of these Rare cases where a bunch Of different actors Get together And the chemistry Is there in addition to Hackman and Keanu Reeves and Brooke Langdon who plays the head of the cheerleading squad there is Orlando Jones who I think I mentioned earlier yeah who, I like. who is yeah. a magnificent actor yeah he's
1: very Stephen
0: underrated. Williams who most people uh, who listen to this podcast will remember from his time as Mr. X in the X Files yeah who I think is supposed to be playing Reggie White a legendary defensive lineman who became a Ordained minister. Ordained
1: minister. Oh, yeah, well, even after Reggie, yeah. he went to Israel. Yes. Yeah, and he went on an extended pilgrimage.
0: Yeah, he unfortunately passed away recently. But yeah. it's yeah. obvious that, to me that the Stephen Williams character is based. He is a former... Pro football player Mm -hmm. Who becomes An
1: ordained minister right, And Steve Williams Just let me say real quick He's one of them actors That I like Because even if Whatever he's in Is crap He's worth watching Oh well,
0: he's one of the Funniest things In a film That will probably be In the second installment Of this thing Mm -hmm. A little film we call Jason Goes to Hell The Final Friday Oh okay There's just such a Gelling of these Characters Of these actors Together Even though you don't Really believe in the Characters Mm-hmm. And Lord knows you don't believe in the football sequences. <laughs> the football sequences are dreadful and just show a total misunderstanding of how football is played.
1: How bad are
0: they? Oh, really? Incredibly, as awfully bad.
1: Bad as any given Sunday. Fairy tale,
0: fairy tale bad.
1: Which you know that yes. I—that's a movie that even though I don't know jack about football. You cannot convince me that guys getting teeth and i knocked out on every play. Nobody would want to play the damn
0: game. The football sequences are really, really dreadful in this. Okay. And it's funny because it seems like whoever wrote this script really wants to have his cake and eat it too. He He wants to avoid being truthful about football, but he puts all these characters in who are obviously other famous personages in the history of football.
1: And you know, that's something that... Well, maybe it's just me. My wife always say when I go on my little rants and tangents or whatever, she says, well, Derek, that's just you. But if I was making a movie about football and I I don't know anything about football, my first thing would be to maybe hire somebody who knows about football. I'd get a phone call. Yeah, you'd get a phone call and say, well, Tom, I don't know anything about football. Couldn't you come and... Supervise the football sequences and tell me if I'm doing it right. right. And
0: it's obvious. I mean, I think part of it's because the NFL obviously did not oh, approve yeah. of this film, yeah. and they
1: probably had a lot of. Although people.
0: oddly enough, John Madden and Pat Summerall. Are the commentators throughout the film?
1: Well, who's going to tell John Madden he true. can't be in a movie? John Madden kicked his ass. Fuck you,
0: I got Madden money.
1: Man, he kicked ass. Well, I don't know about Pat Summerall but I know John Madden. Yeah. Who's going to tell him he can't be in a well, movie? Well,
0: that's another. John Madden is another one of those very few coaches who he did his one stint as the Raiders head coach, never coached again.
1: And basically, he's been coasting on the right. ever since. Then. But then he's got the video game, right. which is like, what, the top selling sports game in it's the world? A true the true phenomenon. Of- you know, for what, the last 10 years? Yeah. He's got money. And it's also weird
0: how every once in a while you do get the impression that the script writers understand what they're trying to do, which is trying to get us to cheer for these people who are basically strike breakers. There is a scene where Gene Hackman has this meeting with everybody and he's like, we're going to talk about fear. <laughs> what are you scared of? And that prompts Orlando Jones to go, I'm scared of bees, coach. And he's like trying to get him back on point. He's like, you know, bees, bees. And like these twin bodyguard types go, oh, I'm scared of spiders. I you ever have it. a spider club up your leg? He then starts talking about people are, they're not afraid of you when they should be afraid of you because you don't have that much time left. You've only got a, got a second chance. Yada, yada. And the ending is so weird. We're at the end where, of course, the original quarterback crosses the line. Mm-hmm. He's, of course, a total dickwad. And. Falco comes back and wins the game for the Washington Sentinels. At the end of it, the film just kind of stops and Gene Hackman gives this weird speech, this voiceover over David Bowie's heroes where he's talking about, there was no ticker tape parades for those players. There was no uh, glory. It was just... And you sit there and you're like,
1: what happened?
0: It's like they knew what they were doing. They suddenly realized, oh shit, we just invested millions of dollars in a movie where people would probably hate the heroes
1: exactly because like i said that's so against the american work ethic to mm-hmm. root for scab right. that i don't understand but
0: it didn't do very well but the fact that i own the dvd i just am compelled to watch it
1: and they do rerun it up to wazoo on tv so how often would you say to watch it
0: i just bought the dvd recently okay but i used to watch it whenever i
1: would see it on tbs oh okay
0: and it's one of these things where it's like I feel kind of dirty slightly after watching yeah, it. Yeah, but
1: you watch it anyway. Which, is, speaking of feeling
0: dirty. dirty? Oh. <laughs> walk-a-chicka, 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 walk-a-chicka.
1: oh, man. After, <laughs> after this, I'm going to need a serious scrubbing. Okay. Because now we're going to go into another movie that, yeah, this movie, as I said earlier, is it possible for a movie to both suck and blow? This one most certainly does. It's Star Trek Five: The Final <laughs> Frontier. <laughs> From 1989.
0: (laughs) The one that Kirk shot.
1: Yeah, this is the one that William Shatner did, and I'm firmly convinced that it was motivated by jealousy because Leonard Nimoy had directed Mm -hmm. the previous two. He had directed... Why can't I have a film to direct? he directed the one with the whales, Mm -hmm. Leonard Nimoy. And and he directed directed The Search for Spock, both which were respectable hits, especially The Voyage Home, Mm -hmm. which was a fan favorite. It was... Uh, financial success it was a critical success everybody loved it that was one of the movies that jump started Leonard Nimoy's very short lived directorial career because he did Three Men and a Baby and what's that old joke
0: in uh, The Critic the old cartoon with John Lovitz where he talks about the three greatest directors in America are Spock was it Spock Meathead and Laverne and Laverne yeah. yeah
1: But anyway, I believe that part of Shatner's contract for doing Star Trek V was that he directed or he wasn't going to be in it. Mm -hmm. So of course they said, back then, how are we going to do a Star Trek movie without William Shatner? Paramount gave in, (laughs) they let him direct it, and boy, did they make a big mistake. (laughs) (laughs) William Shatner cannot direct to save his life. Very briefly, the plot, I'm sure most of you do it, but I'm obligated to go through this anyway. The Enterprise crew is pulled back together again to go on a mission to uh planet. They're like the, the mafia, aren't they? Yeah. Every time I go out they keep pulling it back in pulling it back in, they go to a planet called the planet of universal peace, which is this little backwater desert planet out there somewhere where Everybody on there is staying in a state of perpetual drunkenness, it looks
0: like. Okay, now, how do you come up with naming a planet like that? Yeah, well,
1: (laughs) in the movie it's supposed to be a place because it's it's got a Romulan, got a Klingon, and it's got a human. Played by David Warner, who got a much better role in the one after this, the undiscovered country. The planet is taken over by a Vulcan named Cybok, who for some reason that is never explained to us, can do the Jedi mind trick and make you want to follow him <laughs> to Shakari. <laughs> right. Which is the legendary planet that is the basis for heaven and all of the, like the Klingon, they got a place called heaven. Right. The Rhyme has got a place called heaven. It's basically supposed to be heaven. And right. Cyborg wants to take everybody there. Unfortunately, Shakari is at the center of the galaxy, past the Great Barrier, which supposedly nobody has been able to penetrate. But Cybok needs a ship to do this. So he kidnaps the Klingon ambassador, he kidnaps the human ambassador, and the Romulan ambassador on the planet of universal peace, Mm -hmm. and Kirk and the gang have got to go rescue them. Of course, the ship gets taken and seized by Cybok and his ragtag... Group of drunken bums (laughs) (laughs) who are able to overcome the highly trained Starfleet crew because they're they're like
0: what in their fifties at this point.
1: Well, yeah, they are starting to show their age. They take the Enterprise because now Cybok does the Jedi mind trick on everybody and he gets them to follow him. Sulu, Uhura, they forget everything and they drop what they're doing and say, Yeah, well, we want to go to Shakarito. But he can't do it to Spock, who, as it turns out, is his half-brother. Dun-dun-dun. Um, okay. Yeah. Which, well, I'm going to get to that in a minute, but let me go on to the finish with the plot. So anyway, the Enterprise goes through the Great Barrier with absolutely no trouble at all. This mythical Great Barrier that nobody can penetrate, they go through the Great Barrier. So it's just a great story. Yeah, it's a sucky story. <laughs> because they get to the planet and they meet God. And Kirk asks him, What? Hi,
0: questions. I'm God. Yeah, basically Take that's what it is. Yeah.
1: They go down to the planet He meets God, And he says, well, I need your ship to go past the Great Barrier. And Kirk asks, well, the only question in the movie that makes sense. Well, your God, what do you need with a spaceship? (laughs) I want to look cool. (laughs) It's little touches like this. I mean, I'm rattling this off real quick. And you know why I'm doing that? Because that's the only way this story makes sense, if you say (laughs) it like that. Because at any point in this movie, if you stop to think about the plot, you'll turn the movie off. Why don't I turn it off when it comes on TV? Maybe it's because... It gets a couple of things right. Mm -hmm. For one thing, they got the scene at the beginning where it's Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. They're vacationing together. And a lot of people say, oh, they hate the scene because they're sitting and singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat. But I believe that these were actually three friends who knew each other for 30, 40 years that were on vacation together. Which... Is an element throughout this whole movie, which is what I think is the main strength of the entire original Star Trek 7, that you honestly believe these people were friends and co-workers. There's other things I like in the movie. I like the scene where they have the jailbreak, where they put in a holding cell inside of the Enterprise, and Kirk is trying to escape. And Spock says, well, you can't. And Kirk says, Why not? And Spock says, well, they already put the most resourceful, intelligent person in one of these things to see if he get out. He couldn't get out. Well, Kirk says, well, who was that? Spock said, well, me. It's an element of humor like Spock that. Spock can be a dick sometimes, Oh, and he, he says it with such a deadpan <laughs> expression. You have that. You have the great moment when they're going through the Great Barrier, and Kirk and Spock and McCoy, they're in the observation deck with this great old-fashioned wheel that they use right. on a sailing ship. And they're going through the Great Barrier and they have a discussion about why they got into Starfleet and this mm-hmm. is why to boldly go in no man and there's a plaque you, you right. see the camera goes down and Kirk touches it it's a nice touching moment unfortunately we've got other moments like the whole thing with Cybot being Spock's brother and Kirk has a moment where he says is there a rationale for that? supposedly Spock's father mm-hmm. was married to a Vulcan princess before he married Amanda, Spock's mother. Kurt doesn't believe this for a minute. He says, you don't have a brother. He said, I've known you all these years. You never, which he's right. I mean, by this point, he's known Spock and McCoy most of his life. He's known them for longer than he's known his own parents. Right. So some point of that, it would have come out that Spock has a brother. Just to pull him out of left field like that. The production values in this movie are terrible. This looks like they shot it on the original set of the TV show. It says
0: here that the budget was twenty eight million dollars.
1: It's twenty seven eight
0: hundred thousand.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't look.
0: Which, it, yeah, it, seems it look, a bit paltry, though. And even in as early as nineteen eighty nine, that seems like a little on the.
1: Oh, it looks cheap. It looks shoddy. It's the whole thing with the God at the end. I'm still
0: trying to wrap my eyes around God having tea.
1: Yeah. Hey, how you doing? I mean, basically, that's what happened. I made scones. They come down to the planet, and these stone pillars jump up out of it, and this big face shows up and says, "Hi, I'm God." Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Here's my card. <laughs> now, little, little white card just says God. Now, can you take me past the Great Barrier so I can go back? Even for me, for a Star Trek fan, it's a terrible movie, but I watch it probably because it's the one that's most like the TV show, it looks like it could have been an episode from the hypothetical fourth season that was never made. If a fourth season had been made in Star Trek, you could see this as being like a two-part episode of that. Mm -hmm. It's that bad. It's universally regarded as the worst of the Star Trek movies. Me, personally, I don't think it is. I think Nemesis is actually worse than this. Uh
0: Okay. I don't like Nemesis. Which one is that one? That one is... That's a new generation one. That
1: was the last next generation one. That was... Oh, the the
0: one on the planet with...
1: No, that was the one with the clone of John Luke Picard, the Romulan, and that's the one with Data Bites the Dust, Data Gets Oh, it. the Borg one. No, the Borg one was First Contact. It makes my head hurt. Well, you're not a Star Trek That's guy. true, yes. Yeah, so you don't know. Because Nemesis, they did what they usually do when they tried to revitalize the thing. They remade the Rathacon. They tried what do to make you
0: make of J.J. J. Abrams being tapped to revitalize the franchise?
1: I don't. In my opinion... They should not do anything with Star Trek for at least 10 years. It's time to give the franchise a rest. We've right. had... What? Well, we had a
0: bloat for a while because you had Next Generation <laughs> and Deep Space Nine, Nine. Got and Voyager. Voyager all at the same time. All, all,
1: t- all three of them were running were at the same all time. They at the same time. They didn't take the hint from Enterprise, all right. which got canceled after only three seasons. It lasted that long? They didn't take the hint from that, If you go to most bookstores, most bookstores now have a Star Trek section to itself because there's that many books out there. There's comic books. There's graphic novels. We've got the movies in DVD. We've got the TV series on DVD. We don't need any more Star Trek for a while. They should put the franchise to rest for at least 10 years. Don't touch it. Let people have a chance to get tired of it for a while. They don't give people a chance to get tired of Star Trek. You have the fans, God bless them I understand, I love Star Trek too But you know something, everything comes to an end Everything has a season Star Trek cannot go on ad infinitum The only way it can continue Is to give it a rest And then let some other people With a whole new mindset And a whole new way of looking at it Come in and do something J.J. Abrams, I don't know
0: Last question and then we will put this to rest Because we are going a little over Yeah, We'll
1: go a few minutes over, go ahead
0: Let's say that Paramount does decide to bury it for 10 years. Right. How do you think they should bring it back? Has a new TV show? Do they go back to the first, and just basically do a new version of the first cast?
1: Uh, You know... Do an
0: entirely original series within the same world?
1: From what I've been hearing, I've been hearing that because they went to William Shatner and they asked him, well, how do you feel about us recasting the part of Kirk? Yeah. So I've been hearing that, yeah, they are going with a new Kirk and a new Spock for this one.
0: For a while I heard that they were going to go back to the, they've talked about this idea a number of times, the Starfleet Academy. Oh, yeah. With the idea of doing a movie which shows how Kirk, Spock, and McCoy first met. Yeah, all
1: got together, yeah. Matter of fact, they even thought about doing that uh, at one time. As a TV show. As a TV show with Wesley Crusher, having Will Wheaton Yes, have him be the star. And he would have a young crew that he'd be kind of the leader of. If I was going to bring it back, I would bring it back. With a whole new cast of characters and just do just it use that the way. universe. Yeah, just use the universe and do a whole new cast of characters. Because now they're getting to the thing where they're strip mining what's been done before. Not that I don't say that they couldn't get good actors to do it. Gary Sinise, he'd right. make a perfect Doctor McCoy. <laughs> but you look at him and he looks a kind of like E. Forest Kelly. Although I got to admit,
0: we talked earlier about alternate casting. Mm-hmm. I would love to see that pilot that they shot for Voyager with. Genevieve, Genevieve Boujol, yeah, as the character,
1: yeah, as uh, Captain Janeway.
0: Yeah, because I'm a big Genevieve Boujol fan. Me too. And I don't like Star Trek, ladies and gentlemen. I am not a Star Trek fan.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But when they originally had announced Genevieve Boujol has playing Captain Janeway. I was actually willing to give this thing. You would have watched that. I would have uh, watched I bet, it. You, yes. I
1: bet your ass would have watched but that But I that think one. that she was unhappy. <laughs> I mean,
0: apparently, she was unhappy with during that first shoot.
1: They agreed. Genevieve Boujo and Paramount agreed it just wasn't working out. Right. and They shook hands and they parted it. Okay. I would have liked to see that myself. But anyway, that's it for me in Star Trek 5. Is it the worst of the Star Trek movies? Yes, without a doubt it's the worst, <laughs> but still it'll come on. The Sci-Fi Channel, yeah. it was on not too long ago. I said, well let me watch the part where Kirk and McCoy and, you know, they're all around the campfire and they're mm-hmm. toasting the marshmallows. I'll watch that and then I'll go wash my hair. Next thing I knew, Movie's over. And, and the credits was up and I was sitting there, you
0: know. We've actually talked about maybe doing a series much like we did with the Marvel and the movie series,
1: yeah. talking
0: about the Star Trek phenomena. And if you guys are interested in hearing us go on about that, right. you can there are a number of ways you can tell us this.
1: And tell them what they are, Tom.
0: You can contact us at our email, which is better in the dark. That's better the letter N the Dark At gmail.com, you can, of course, join the Better in the Dark Yahoo group. Then we'll have the URL mentioned at the end credits of this episode. Or you can just drop us a line through Podomatic by leaving a comment on this episode. Folks, please do vote for us on Podcast Alley. Remember, vote for us every month because that determines how high up we are on the search engine. So, for example, when I put in Better in the Dark, we're number 35 on that list. Oh, we're
1: 35 We're now?
0: 35 now. We used to be like number 2,000.
1: 35 with a bullet, folks. Yep.
0: So We're moving
1: up the charts.
0: And we're going to be taking a break like we usually do on our monthly recording sessions. And then we're going to come back and talk about the X-Men.
1: Okay, but that's it for this This episode. episode. We hope that you've enjoyed it, and if you see these movies on television someplace... Please
0: don't blame us too much. Yeah,
1: try not to blame us too much.
0: (laughs) So it's good night for me.
1: And it's good night for me.
0: And remember, no matter what you do, go see See that that movie. movie. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Thanks go out to Brian Ibbett of Coverville and Tim Young at Contrast Podcast. Better in the Dark has found that cops are automatically suspicious when you call them real cops. Previous episodes of the show can be downloaded from betterinthedark.podmanic.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mails, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley and join our film discussion group at movies.groups.yahoo.com backslash group backslash better in the dark. If you like this program, please contribute via our PayPal link on the website. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. And if you're wondering if this marks the end of the show, it do.